0: This is Sean.
1: Hey, Sean. It's Abby.
0: Hey, Abby. How you doing? Oh. Sorry about that. I was just uh, – my vet just called just to check in on something, so I had to uh, take that so, real quick.
1: No problem at all. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Doing good. well. How about you?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for talking to me about your plush, and um, the process of manufacturing. It's something that I'm super interested in, and I think lots of my blog readers will be really interested to hear about, and it's actually pretty difficult to find someone who's made a go of it and been pretty successful, so I'm really excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, you bet.
0: I'm, I'm happy to, and I think it's a lot of, you uh, be happy to share the, as many of the hurdles as I can and, and some of the victories as well.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. So, I guess let's just start out, if you want to tell me a little bit about the the way that um Shana started and, and kind of developed in the in the early years.
0: Sure. Um, well I was uh I had been working at a job um, as a game reviewer for a magazine called Electronic Gaming Monthly for a number of years and uh, as fun as that was, things were changing in the game industry and, and uh I, I decided to leave that job and, and I went back to college to get my degree in uh in painting and fine arts. So, um, during that time, I started, I'd kind of seen some, some, like, import toys, import plush toys that I thought were, were interesting because it wasn't like your traditional teddy bears and bunnies and stuff like that, but it's, it was more based on imaginary characters and I really liked that, you know, about them, that, that they were more like, uh, the kind of stuff that I would draw, like little doodles of weird characters and, and stuff in the, you know, the margins of sketch pads or notepads and so on. And uh, at that time, I'd also been collecting a bunch of characters from my sketchbooks, kind of cutting them out and recompiling them in a – uh almost like a character library, if you will, just trying to figure out what, what I'm going to do with this stuff. So when I saw the import plush toys, I thought that would be kind of interesting. Maybe I could uh, turn them into some sort of sculptural – like a plush toy, uh, maybe, or something else like that. And I had traditionally worked in 2D with drawings and paintings. And as fun as that is again i I had an opportunity to just kind of explore while I was in college and and uh, and that was a medium that I hadn't really considered prior to that so um, my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife um, and my mom, for that matter, um, gave me some supplies and needles and threads and some fabrics and my mom actually gave me a sewing machine and just started making these goofy plush toys in my college apartment and uh at that time, it wasn't really a business and you know Certainly, there wasn't anything like like Etsy. Um, there really was no kind of clearinghouse, except for maybe a couple of forums, and then just building your own website. So I just put it online, more of a way to show my friends what I was doing, and eventually they became Shaunimals. I kind of thought it more or more of a business, and um, and it was handmade for much of its early life, um, for about I'd say a solid six years of that time. Um, we did everything by hand.
1: And did you sell on Etsy? Did you start with an Etsy shop once Etsy started up in 2005?
0: No. By that time, we had um, a pretty um, solid following, and uh, we we had good traffic to our website, and we were able to sell direct to people via that website. So as much as I think Etsy is an amazing forum and community and way to sell things, we just didn't really have to utilize that and uh and then, you know, shopping cart systems became a little bit more affordable and a little easier to use, so we kind of stuck with what we had and, and uh and then just, just focused on that.
1: So then tell me about how you I know you have some manufactured toys and you still make handmade toys now as part of Shaunimo's line, but um I'm interested in how you decided to Transition to having some toy um, patterns manufactured, and I guess about what that process entailed, sort of what the research end of it looked like, and the financials, and then sort of how it's gone for you.
0: Well, um, in the when we we first, you know, as as we grew, basically, it, we've always taken a very natural sort of evolutionary approach to to business, and. We weren't as interested. I didn't get my degree in, in business. I got my degree in art. So I've always really been more focused on the kind of the creative bottom line than the, than, than the financial one, you know, for better or worse, <laughs> depending on who you talk to. But um, the, the, the thing was is, is we liked making things by hand, but we also didn't want to become manufacturers. And I think that was really a, a wake-up call for us is, we were, we were growing, and we were selling, and that's all fine and good, and we were making a lot of products, so that's a good problem to have. But um, then ThinkGeek, we started dealing more with stores. I should, I should kind of preface it with that. We started selling wholesale to stores, and um, sort of out of the blue, ThinkGeek, a buyer at ThinkGeek had contacted us and asked if we would be willing to wholesale um, our Wee Ninja plush to them, pocket can ninjas. You, and, and can we, you just tell
1: ninjas. us um, what ThinkGeek is for people who might not know?
0: Yeah, so you definitely should know if you don't, all of, all of your readers out there. Think ThinkGeek's an amazing website that, uh, it's a web store that has countless numbers of hilarious, geeky, um, useless, but absolutely needed <laughs> things. Um, a lot of stuff is very, most of it's pop cultural, um, some of it's uh, nerdy and sort of scientific. Um, other stuff is just kind of referencing some sort of pop cultural phenomenon, okay, like, uh, so, in, our, in our case, ninjas and so on.
1: So they got your sense of humor and um, and liked your product enough to place a significant wholesale order, which probably meant for you making things one by one by hand um, significant stress on your end.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really the, you know, it's uh, again, it's like, wow, this is amazing. That's so much money and so much more money than we ever – Really had coming from a store before, but at the same time, um, that's just one sort of simple byproduct of this process. And the rest of it is making literally hundreds and hundreds of ninjas, um, and that's when it becomes unfun. And you know, and, I, and it's not just about fun; it's about like, okay, what is my role? And if I'm if I'm a designer and maker, um, that's fine. I'm not a manufacturer though, and I think that there's a reason why there's companies and factories that do this kind of stuff. Um, when it becomes sort of unruly. Um, and that's really the, the, how we made our decision is we, we realized – we had filled that initial order um, for, off the top of my head, 500 units um, of Wee Ninjas and another 300 units of Pocket Ninjas. So it was like 800 units total. And they needed it by a certain date. So we basically – we knew that there's no way we were going to be able to have these things manufactured in a factory. So our only option was, and they were okay with this, was to make them by hand. Um, so we, we did so. We had kind of a work party where we invited our friends over and we said, okay, here's what we need to do. We need your help. We'll buy you pizza. We'll buy you drinks. But we need to like get this going as soon as possible. So we did and we were able to complete the order and get everything shipped out and it was awesome.
1: But that doesn't seem like a sustainable model in the long term.
0: Exactly. That's, that's exactly the problem. So like, you know, a lot of your readers are, are, are familiar with the wholesale model and at least in, in designer toys, a lot of the times, basically, you're selling to a store at 50% off of retail. Right. Now, you can kind of wiggle that a little bit in terms of – because it's handmade, it's a higher value, and it should have a higher value. So maybe you're dealing with 40% off of retail instead. So you get 60, uh, 60% of that of that retail price um, for, for your work. Um but still you know it is that's the model, so um even though we we were making some money off of those, it was not nearly as much as you might think, and they're they're selling them for twenty bucks a uh, pop, you know, so we're getting like ten and um, you know that 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 adds up over time, especially when you're dealing with 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 that many units, and it just um,
1: right, is, is so, a us, so a lot of us – a lot. Right. A lot of us are in that role, are in that position where we are faced with this exact problem where uh, one of our designs, um, or maybe a few, have become really popular and there's demand for them and people start to suggest maybe you need to get this manufactured somewhere and that would be more reasonable. Um, However, I know that um, getting a design manufactured often means, first of all, a significant upfront financial investment, and also ordering the minimum number of units that you can order is often in the thousands, and then you're faced with having to store and distribute right. all of those units. So um, so what about that hurdle?
0: Well, you know, I think it's, it's – I, I can't really speak as much to U.S.-based manufacturing. I can say that it exists. We're currently exploring it, and in Chicago – Um, we found a couple great possibilities. A lot of those have to do with more cut-and-sew facilities that work primarily with uh, fashion and handbags and those sorts of things. So it's not a stretch for them to kind of work out something that would be more plush toy-based.
1: Interesting. Um,
0: But there's definitely some education that's going to need to happen to get that worked out because it is not the same thing. And and at this point, we don't even know if we're going to get a finished product. You know, we might just get the sewn sort of body uh, maybe some applique, but we may need to finish it. And that's certainly an option, you know, and it makes it a little bit more sustainable. But as far as um, dealing with factories outside of the U.S. or even larger factories within the U.S. for that matter, um, you're going to deal with minimums. Um, your cost per items are going to be lower than – absolutely lower than what you're dealing with now in most cases. But you have to think about things like testing. You have to think, think about freight costs to get it here. Um, and then you need then the kind of most important of all, and this is less tangible in terms of price, is quality control. Um, it's, you know, as much as you think it was a, it was a, a science, it's definitely not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a much more uh, fluid process. And we've seen – it's really run the gamut in terms of quality. Um, even something that was approved and, and absolutely perfect initially – uh, then ended up coming to us, and some were great, but then other other units in that production run weren't. They simply didn't look good, and they weren't sellable.
1: Uh-huh. Um,
0: and that that's you know if when you're dealing with um, minimums of say two to three thousand pieces, that can really sting, you know, if it's too high of, of, of a percentage. And and even if there's recourse, and often there is, but even if there's recourse, and you get those units remade, how long are you gonna have to wait to get those? Because of course they are coming from, in the case of China. You know, they're going to either be air freighted, which is very costly, or sent on a boat, which is just uh, usually 30 to 45 days.
1: Wow, right.
0: So I, I think, you know, I think the the, the the idea is that, okay, well, if I do have this manufactured in a factory, then, hey, it's going to be super cheap, and then I can char- still charge the same amount or maybe a little less but then make that much more money. And the reality of it is it's just it's not as cheap as you think.
1: Right, um, because especially you're if you add all paying the... stuff in. Yeah, you're paying for testing, you're paying for the the shipping from the overseas factory, and then you're paying right. shipping again from from where you are to where where they're eventually going to go. Um so Yeah,
0: so yeah, if you're working with a distributor, certainly you have to factor that in and, and if let's right. say let's say you do find a factory that's able to produce five hundred units, you know, you work with someone that you find the right partner, right? And they are able to do five hundred units for you.
1: Which we is really small. I mean five hundred units is a yeah. very small minimum, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. That would be like you hit the jackpot if it's right, a good quality. Right. That doesn't
1: initiative. seem yeah, that doesn't seem to exist. They all seem to be in the thousands.
0: Absolutely. Um, so but 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 my point is that if even if you were to find someone let's do a more realistic number, let's say you were getting them down to a thousand pieces.
1: Okay. Um,
0: and, and your testing costs are five hundred to seven hundred dollars. Um, well then all of a sudden your your per unit cost, you're adding another fifty to seventy cents per unit. Um, and and that that is that's really tricky.
1: Right now, is the testing done? Is that something that's done in the United States for U.S. standards, or is that done overseas in the factory in China? How is where is the testing done?
0: There's third-party labs all over the country. Many of those are are U.S. US uh, run companies, but they're you know certified third-party labs, and they have offices in most kind of points of manufacture. So you'll find one in you'll find a tons in China. You'll find some in Mexico. You'll find some in Europe, um, but they all test based on uh, industry standards. But dependent upon what you're making.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so how did you, um, how did you, how did tell me about the the very first sort of experience with having one design? Was it one design that you had initially we manufactured? Had, we
0: decided to do four. Uh, we knew that obviously with the Think Geek order, we knew that the we Ninjas and Pocket Ninjas were doing well, and they were they had always done well for us, so that was a no brainer. We had also um, we had, we had our Mustachio character, which is a larger Mustachio, which is the mustache with a mustache, and then a it's smaller a version. <laughs> Thank you very much. And then a smaller version, which is a Pocket stash, so it's just a, basically it's a mustache with eyes. It's like a baby Mustachio, in other words. So we knew that those were the four that we wanted to do because those were our four most popular characters. And uh, so we went to our family, and we said, hey, friends and family, friends and family, for that matter, because they had offered, some, some of those people had offered to us in the past to to uh, help us out if we needed help financially, uh, basically like a loan. So we went to them and said, hey, you know, you remember how you said that before? Well, now's the time because we want to we wanna step this up because we're beyond our capacity. It's becoming unfun, and, um, and we want to meet this demand, at least with these characters, and you know, still maintain a handmade Part of our business, but at least for these, because we can't meet demand let's have these manufactured so we were able to raise around twenty thousand um, dollars through quite a few <laughs> different family and friends um, and that that helped us with our first round of manufacturing
1: and how many so you had four designs so how many of each design did you get
0: it was that was like in two thousand and seven so um I want to say that we had to get like Two or 3,000 of each.
1: Of each. I mean, at that
0: time, yeah. Yeah. So we ended up having, like, I think either between eight and 10,000 units or something like that.
1: Okay. Um, So they all came in, and then you had to store them, I'm assuming, before being able to distribute them yourselves.
0: Yeah. So what we did, we had started working with a distributor. Well, really, it's kind of a broker. Um, It's a, a company called DKE Toys, and he focuses specifically on collectible toys and designer toys so we had been we had already been working with him in some capacity, and we knew that with this with this run we could work with him um in in a much easier way you know we, we didn't necessarily have to make things on demand we he would have a running inventory so he has a warehouse um so we were able to ship those units to him in Los Angeles and then um he basically warehoused those um I can't remember the cost, but there is a cost associated with that. And then the, and then as, as a sort of broker, there's a percentage he takes for – because he'll solicit his list of stores. They'll place orders with him, and then he takes a percentage, and we're paid out on a monthly basis.
1: Right. Okay. You know, and then so. and that,
0: and that, and that, there again, when you talk about cost per item, there's the manufacturing cost per item and all the things that go into the manufacturer and, and, and uh, shipping of, the, of, of receiving the item, but then there's the, the sort of – extra costs then associated with actually getting that item um, into stores in some cases if you're working with a distributor or even just simply selling it outright, as people know, with Etsy um, fees and so on, PayPal fees. Right,
1: right, right, right. Okay. So I hope you don't mind if I ask, but did you recoup the the loan that your friends and family so nicely (laughs) offered to you?
0: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, this is a whole other tangent we can kind of get onto, but... uh, but the quick version is, you know, when we took that money, um, we, we use an accountant. We are formed as an LLC. So we knew that um, we wanted to do this, do this right, um, not just for the business, but these are people that we love. And, and we're not going to accidentally um, screw them over. So we had a promissory note that we uh, basically we entered into these loans officially with these, with these people. And um, we made sure that they had a very specific payment schedule. And they knew the terms of this loan, and if we defaulted, there were repercussions that we had to face. Um, you know, and, and many of them were like, "This is not necessary. You don't have to do all this." And I'm like, "No, actually, we really, really do, because as confident as we are about this stuff, we don't know. I mean, stuff happens, and we don't want, you know, we don't want uh, our friends and family to be out of money. Right. So, yeah, you know, I think it's really important. That's just, just as an aside. Like, I, people definitely like if, if you're doing this, even if it's a side business, just take it seriously.
1: I think you're totally you're totally right about that. And forming an LLC was also a very wise decision. Um, so so after that experience, um, which was probably a huge learning curve, um uh Yeah. So did you go going forward? Did you continue to? It sounds like you did continue to place some uh, manufacturing orders between when was that? That was in 2007. You said. Yeah. Until, mm-hmm. until now.
0: Yeah, so what we did – back then, like, we knew that there was there was a significant – like you said, there's a huge learning curve. And one way that you can kind of mitigate that is by working with a manufacturing rep. Now, there's a lot of – people can argue both sides of that because, you know, there, there is additional cost associated with working with a rep. But a good rep is going to have connections to factories and understand you, what you want to make and understand what the capabilities of the factory are, and they basically connect you to the right factory, um, and 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 ideally they have solid relationships. So in terms of feeling safe, know that things are going to be done properly, that you're getting good value, and it doesn't necessarily mean you want it super cheap, but you're getting a good quality product at a reasonable industri- or uh, a market you know market price. Um, and and also deal with some of the issues like export and import. Uh, manufacturing rep definitely does a lot of handholding, and in fact does a lot of the work that we would have had to do otherwise.
1: Yeah, that so sounds us, like a wise decision. I mean, it, you, you're paying more, but it sounds as though as well, a lot of the headache is taken off of your plate.
0: Yeah, especially for our first our first foray into this world. Um, do would, would you know? Does it make sense for for us to have one now? No, it doesn't make as much sense. But we we only know that because of what we've learned over the number of years. And for certain products, if we don't have, if we're not it's not our area of expertise. Like let's say we wanted to go into, I don't know backpacks or something. Like you, you could argue that it's still textiles, but you know, we might work we might find a rep that has connections to that world so we know that we're not going to have to have this kind of huge learning curve yet again. Right. But for plush, you know, we feel pretty confident dealing directly with factories now.
1: Right. Right. Because you've got the connections that you need. Okay, great. So um is there any other words of wisdom or encouragement um or discouragement that you might have for you know aspiring uh plush makers who might aspire to having some of their designs manufactured or sort of taking their business up to this level
0: well um i, I guess just a few things um the one the, the, the top one um is uh well let me think maybe this is a, this is this is important but i would do them in in, in no particular order let's okay. do it this way um <laughs> and this isn't this isn't a targeting sc specifically cuz we see this across the board and it doesn't it doesn't even necessarily always have to do with our stuff there's there's a lot of examples of this if you happen to make something that's really awesome um and 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 then you find out later that someone else was doing it first just uh just take the lump you know and 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 take it off your site <laughs> yeah. cuz you know there there's there's varying degrees of big time and we've dealt this we've dealt with this a lot on Etsy, uh in in particular and and i hate i hate it I hate it all around because um we're not big you know are we bigger than some people? yes, but we're not big we're not big like ugly Doll is big right. we're not big like um certainly not like mainstream toys are big, so just know that like when 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 you make something and it happens to be like someone else's who did it first you you could very well be affecting someone directly and 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 that that's kind of a bummer. I mean, it, it, it's not a it's not happy, uh, no matter what side of it you're on. But just address it. Don't take it right. personal. Just try to work through it. I mean, I think that's
1: I think that's that, part that, of everybody who makes something and puts it online has had the experience of having it copied by yes. somebody else without um, yeah. credit to them. And I think that that yeah, that's a pretty universal experience. I feel like at this point.
0: Yeah, it is, and I think it's it's important to um,
1: Just sort of to take, be a, take, take it like, a, you know, in an upstanding way and remove it and um, yeah, move exactly. forward. Okay, so yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's definitely good advice. Any other words of wisdom? Um,
0: I think, you know, there's um, – I used to think about dealing with handmade versus uh, manufactured goods in kind of a more of a black and white way, and I think that's really the wrong way of doing mm-hmm. it. And, we live in a time now where you can have both as long as you're clear about what it is. And that was really an important thing for us to learn is it doesn't have to be all one or the other. If you start manufacturing goods, should you sell it on Etsy? Absolutely not. But if you have your own website and you do handmade goods, but then you also manufacture goods, just be clear about what each is, you know? Right. And, um, and, and that's been amazing for us. We love handmaking stuff. That's like core to who we are. Um, but we also know that from our experience it's not really that fun to make thousands and thousands of the same thing
1: right so you've uh, managed, you've managed to have a company that blends the two and pretty successfully so that you can continue to do the parts that you you know think are are fun and have the handmade nature of your company still exist while at the same time meet these larger wholesale orders and have a wider distribution.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's
1: and actually that's a pretty unique situation, and I think that's pretty great.
0: Thank you. Yeah, and I think it's important. Like, you know, there there there's been a lot of talk. Um, we've done extensive research, and and we've worked with attorneys to help us understand some of this language. But this is a whole other discussion in terms of of safety and testing and so on for handmade products. And you know, because of because of that handmade part of our company, we qualify as small batch manufacturers and it, ex- it exempts us from certain um, uh, testing standards. Um, we still make sure that we have the proper information on any of the fabrics we use, which is a, a bonus of working with a, uh, with a reputable fabric source, for instance, who can get you that kind of information so you know that you're covered. Um, really, that goes for all sources, whatever kind of materials you use and in, in the, in the stuff that you create. Um, so I think that's, that's one other kind of pointer I'd say is just to – just to be aware, I mean even if you're handmade and you think it's you know you're you're small enough to kind of fly under the radar or maybe that stuff doesn't apply to you, uh, it may not, but um are you willing to take that risk and we weren't
1: right right that and that's a whole topic another topic that I think would yeah. um, would make for a really another really interesting piece but for another time yeah, but I absolutely. appreciate you opening the the door to it because it is actually something that's um deeply concerning to most people who make plush toys so yeah and I think
0: it's 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 one of those things that kind of you know again it, it speaks to what we were talking about it's just uh just take your take your business whatever size and whatever you know wh- whatever size you are just take it seriously
1: and take it professionally correct absolutely 100 percent. but have
0: fun i mean i think that's the important thing right we can talk right. about lawyers and and manufacturing and so on but um, if, you, if you don't enjoy it, then, then don't do it. <laughs>
1: right. Because in the end, it's a, in the end, it's a mustache wearing a mustache, and you should keep that in mind. Yep. <laughs> well, Sean, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, you bet, Abby, and, and uh, I appreciate your, your patience on getting this uh, all together.
1: Oh, no problem. Um, so anyway, keep in touch, and uh, I'll talk to you later.
0: I look forward to the post.
1: Okay. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye.